Thank you, Riley. That was beautiful. I, I don't know how many of you, I noticed uh, Pastor Ryan and uh, usually Pastor Wall, usually when Riley sings, we all sing with him. Have you noticed that? The whole, I, how many of you noticed the staff is up here? We're mouthing the words. Uh, that's beautiful, uh, mainly because my microphone's not on yet. But it sounds really good in my own ears. I really enjoy that, and I enjoy songs that uh, have such a meaning to them that makes you want to sing along. Amen? Aren't you glad we are a church that sings songs that have biblical meaning to them and have touch a chord in your heart that resonates with the grace of Christ? I, I, I tell you, I don't know how, what it would be like if you didn't have that. Well, I'm not going to give you my whole testimony this morning, but I will tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I was saved when I was 16 years old back in 1973. You can do the math for yourself. That makes me 67 if you have to know. Uh, but I was saved when I was 16 years old, had not been raised, and I have to be careful when I say this because sometimes my parents listen in on my sermons. My mom and dad are still with us. My mom's 88, my dad's 91, live in South Carolina, and they watch sometimes live stream. So I have to be careful how to say this. Years ago, I said I was not raised in a Christian home, and I made that big announcement, that I, and I just left it at that and moved on. Boy, oh boy, that was, mm-mm. Mama no likey that. Mom said, you made us sound like a bunch of heathens, like we were all witches and warlocks. And we were, and I'm like, no, no, no. I, I was raised in a very good, strong home. I had good uh, parents who were very conservative. I had, they were very uh, well-disciplined, let's just say. I was very well-disciplined, I guess I should say, not them. Uh, and uh, I was raised in a good home, good parents, good people, good Southern people, but not with a whole a lot of religious upbringing. We didn't go to church that often. We went every now and then, uh, mainly when grandmother would kind of twist her arm and make us go or make us feel guilty enough that we would go. And so I didn't have, when I got saved, didn't have a whole lot of Bible knowledge. Uh, in fact, I had, I had so little Bible knowledge uh, you could just about fool me on anything. If you said something, the Bible says this, I'd be like, oh, okay. Because uh, I didn't know. I never read it for myself. 16 years old, and I never read the Bible for myself. I think the only time I had ever actually opened the Bible and read a verse from the Bible, actually read it out loud, was when I visited my grandmother's church. And they make me go to Sunday school. Some of you may remember this, uh, where they have a little reader. And you had to go around the room. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You had to go around the room and this boy would read and then that boy would read and then it would finally get to me. I never paid any attention to what other guys were reading. I was counting paragraphs to figure out where am I reading and are there words I can't pronounce. And uh, that was my, that's the only time I ever actually read. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's the only time I ever actually read the scripture for myself where the words came out of my own mouth. So I have very little Bible knowledge. When I got saved, I had a really good youth pastor. His name was Rob Thorne. And uh, Rob was a tremendous youth pastor. He's a good pastor now up in Bethpage, New York. Uh, has a, a church up there that uh, is, the Lord has blessed him with. And, you know, people being saved. In case you didn't know, people do get saved in New York. I know some people don't know that. And they actually get saved in California, too. It's rare, but it does happen. Uh, but anyway, he's up in, in New York now. But as a teenager, one of the first things he encouraged us to do, I, there were two things he always emphasized. Number one was read your Bible. And I mean, I heard that so many times. I, I just got saved and he'd say, I need you to read the Gospel of John. And he wasn't the kind of youth pastor who'd say that as a suggestion. He was the kind of youth pastor, he would say, I, need, I think you should read the Gospel of John. And the next time you saw him, the first thing out of his mouth was, have you been reading in the Gospel of John? And I, first couple of times I would be, no. Well, why not? Well, I, did you get saved? Yes. Do you, are you, were you seriously saved? Do you really believe God loved you? Do you really believe Jesus died for you? Yes. Shouldn't you know more about that? Yes, reading the Gospel of John. So I, you know, next time he, I saw him, he asked the same question. You've been reading the Gospel of John? I'm like, yes, sir, I, I'm reading the Gospel of John. 
And uh, I told him this. I still remember he had me read the Gospel of John. He had me read the book of Proverbs. I still study the book of Proverbs to this day. Love the book of Proverbs. Love the Gospel of John. And uh, I remember asking him, I said, I said Rob, uh, there's a lot of things in the Gospel of John I don't understand. They don't make a lot of sense to me. And he, and he made this statement, and I thought it was a good statement. It's a good statement for a young Christian. He said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read in the Gospel of John, start in chapter 1, and read until you find something that you understand. And when you find something you understand, I want you to meditate on that, it, which, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I had to ask him later. Uh, he said, I want you to meditate on that until you understand that truth, that you, that you understand it so that uh, you see it as a Bible truth. And so, you know, I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, just read until you get something. Once you understand something, think about that for a while. Then continue to reading. When you get to something else you understand, think about that for a while. What does God want to do with that in your life? How does God want to use you? He was a very practical youth pastor, uh, and I, I, I try to emulate that in my ministry. Uh, I, I've always said, I don't care how much you know. If you're not doing what you know, big deal. I, I will say this. There are a lot of people who know the Bible a lot better than I do. I mean, they are well acquainted with truths of the Scripture that sometimes I struggle with. But I wouldn't give you two cents for some of them because they don't live it. And my youth pastor emphasized that. If you understand it, then live it. And so I would do that. And I, would, I remember studying through the book of Proverbs. There was a lot in Proverbs. I went, what? What does that mean? Uh, and so I, I did that. Well, I found out later in life as I grew older and more spiritually mature, began to understand more things about the Bible, went off to Bible college, studied in Bible college, learned a lot more, had a basic, a better basic understanding of Old New Testament, how that works together, how it all points to Christ, uh, how he is the center of the Bible. And it started making a lot more sense. And I decided that I needed to change that. And so here's what I think. I think as a new Christian, that's a good practice. Read till you find something you understand and meditate on it. But I think as a more mature Christian, just the opposite is true. Read till you find something you don't understand and figure out what God's trying to tell you. And I've been trying to do that the last, especially the last few years of my life. I've been trying to make sure that I can explain a passage of Scripture, especially those that I struggle with. Well, this is one of those passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 19. You know the story. We call it the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, and that's a pretty decent name. Uh, it doesn't tell you all that he's a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. But you've, if you compare Luke's gospel and you compare Mark's gospel, you get that whole picture of him. And I, I, every time I read that story, for years I would read it, and there are parts of it I understand. It's not that I don't understand what happened. The story, the narrative is fairly easy to understand. My question in that story is, what? Why, why would Jesus say that? How many of you ever, be honest with me, how many of you ever read that and said, why would Jesus say that? Uh, when, you say, when I say to you, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? Is the Bible answer, keep the commandments? Is that really the Bible answer? That always made me scratch my head a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what I've been taught. That's not what I read throughout the rest of the Bible. That's not what Romans teaches me. It's a strange, it, it, to me it was a very strange passage. So let me look at it. I'll show you what my, some of my questions. You're looking at your scripture. Matthew chapter 19, we'll start there in verse 16. Behold, one came unto him, said, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may enter eternal life? Now you'll get a couple more facts if you look in Luke and you get a couple, and Mark. The other facts are this. Uh, Mark, Matthew will tell you uh, that the, the guy was young. He's the, uh, it's funny that there's three, there's three things that are told in each of the gospel that aren't told in the other. Matthew says this was a young man. Now, I don't know, get me, don't get me wrong, I don't know what he meant by young. Uh, the older I get, the, uh, the older young gets. 
Some of you figured that out in a minute. Uh, I, I, I still, I am, I, how many of you, you know, you get older, you don't think of yourself as old yet? The only time I think of myself as old is when I get up and, in the morning and look in the mirror. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, what, what happened to that guy? I, you know, I used to have red hair and boy, there's not a red hair on my head anywhere now. Uh, I, there's a couple redheads, if you want to see later, really closely in my eyebrows. It's about all that's left, that's it. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what young means, but he was young. You'll find that in, Matt, in uh, Matthew's gospel. We just read that. You'll find in Mark's gospel, not only was he young, but Mark throws in a couple things that I think are interesting. Mark says uh, he was running to Jesus. He ran to Jesus and he kneeled before him. Uh, the other gospels don't tell us that. When you get to Luke's gospel, you'll find out that he was a ruler, that he had some kind of authority, whether that was political authority or whether that was spiritual authority with the priest. We don't know. Uh, but there, he, he was some kind of ruler, uh, some kind of a rich, young ruler. And so he comes to Jesus, verse 17, and he said unto him, why callest thou, Jesus says to him, why callest thou, I'm sorry, he says to Jesus, verse 16, I jumped ahead, uh, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain, that I may uh, have eternal life? Now, look at me, look at me, everybody look up here saying, is that or is that not a good question? Is anything wrong with the question? I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think that's a great question. What do I need to do? Uh, it's the same thing the Philippian jailer said. What must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I would think anybody who would come to Jesus Christ when he was on earth, kneel before him, run to him, get to see him, kneel before him and say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be in eternal life? Jesus would say, I'll let you think for a second. I would think Jesus would say, Believe on me and thou shalt be saved. Put your faith and trust on me and what I'm about to do on the cross and you can be saved. Isn't that, and now seriously, look at me. Isn't that kind of the right answer? I mean, so when I read this, I'm like, what? Jesus says, instead of telling him that, he says, why callest thou me good? What, what? If I'd have been the rich young ruler, I think I'd have went, what? What is that, What? He said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. What? How many, how many of you know that that is not a Baptist doctrine? <laughs> that is not what we teach in the Baptist church. Okay, people, if you want to be saved, could you imagine if I, at the end of the service I had an invitation, I said, if anybody here would like to be saved, you need to dedicate your life from here on out to keep the commandments. Uh, we got a problem. You, most of us, if not all of us, and I'm pretty sure all of us, have already violated the commandments. So that, that never made sense to me. I read that and I'm like, I, I still remember as a teenager going, huh? That's not what my youth pastor said. So then it was a contest between what my youth pastor said and what, what Jesus Christ himself said. And that became a problem for me. So anyway, verse 18, so he said unto them, so the young man looks back at Jesus. Jesus says, keep the commandments. The young man looks back at Jesus and he says this, which... Which commandment should I keep? By the way, that's kind of a cheap way out. But he says, which commandments? Now, this really gets strange to me because Jesus answers him and he answers him in a very odd way to me. Now, you may not think this. I, I know I'm just talking about myself, but I think it's a very odd answer. Jesus answers him and says, uh, thou shalt do no murder. Now, I don't know if you know the Ten Commandments in order, but that's commandment number six. What happened to commandment number one, commandment number two, commandment number three, commandment number four, and commandment number five? Jesus starts, I have no idea. I, have, I, I read that and I'm like, why would you start with thou shalt do no murder? 
So he goes to number six. Then he goes to number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Then number eight, thou shalt not steal. Then number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And he leaves out number 10. Thou shalt not covet. Anybody else find that odd? Which commandments? Well, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't steal, and you shouldn't bear false witness. And then instead of going to number 10 in that list, he jumps back to number 5. Honor thy father and mother. And then he throws in one that is not listed as a 10th commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How many of you ever noticed that list and went, huh? That's a weird list. At least in my mind, I don't, I, I don't know the mind, I didn't know the mind of Christ, and I couldn't understand this when I first started reading this. Why would he do that? Why would you start with number six, go to number nine, jump to number five, then throw in one that's not really a commandment, but one that kind of sums up all of those commandments? Am I, okay, I'm going to have to get some help here. How many of you look at that and go, that is curious, you'd at least say that. Oh, good, I'm not the only, okay, good. I was wondering if I'm the only weird person here. Sometimes I read passages like this and I just go, okay, Lord, what, what, what's going on here? So the young man, by the way, says this, back to Jesus in verse 20. That young man said to him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Wow. Okay. So, so he says to him, Jesus said, look, you shouldn't commit murder, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't uh, steal, you shouldn't bear false witness, you should honor your father and mother, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy, goes, the guy basically goes, done, got it, done all that. By the way, I think it's beautiful that Jesus didn't go, liar. <laughs> uh, he didn't treat him like he did the woman at the well. You remember the woman at the well? He didn't give her quite that kind of a break, did he? You know, she said, I'm not married. He goes, yeah, you said that. Well, you're not only not married, the man you're living with is not your husband. Oh, wow. Right between the eyes. But this guy, you don't get that. And that's why I'm like, okay, this story doesn't work for me. And so uh, he says, all these things I've done for my youth. Since I was a child, I've done that. I haven't ever, <laughs> I haven't ever lied. How many of you know that that was a lie right there? I haven't ever lied. Come on, dude. I mean, and I've always honored every, how many of you would be able to, you better not put your hand up. How many would be able to put your hand up and say, I always honor my father and mother and obeyed them to the letter of their commandments. My hand is only up as a joke. My parents may be watching. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy statement. I've done all that. What do I like less? And so Jesus says to him, again, another weird answer. If thou will be perfect, Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. By the way, I said earlier, is the right answer to how to get to heaven by keeping the commandments? You all looked at me and basically said no. Well, is the right answer to sell everything you have and follow Jesus? Will that get you to heaven? You see what I'm saying about this, this, this story? The more I read it, the more I was like, <laughs> What? And then, he, and then it goes on, it gets even weirder. But the young man heard what that saying, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's interesting because Matthew says he went away sorrowful, Mark said he went away grieved, and Luke says he went away very sorrowful. And it's interesting, I don't, I don't think, claim to be a Greek scholar, but that's an interesting word in the Greek text because it's only used a few times in the New Testament. One of them was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. 
It has this idea of deep-seated grief. And so I asked my myself another question. So what has this guy got to be sorrow for? I mean, if you take a really good look at him and you add all his attributes together, at least in the world's vision, at least in a human standpoint, he's got some good stuff. He's young, amen? Some of you, I, you how many of you remember hearing this, you know, youth is wasted on the young? I never understood what that meant until I crossed 65. Now I get, oh, yeah. Uh, I wish I'd have known how young I was and what I could do when I could do it. I have, had to, I have had to give up more things, doing more things in the last few years than ever in my whole life. I, I, I've stubbed my toe and I'm hurt. I got to go see a doctor. It's like, this is a crazy. And then I have these weird things that happen to me, you know, part of aging. I have uh, rosacea in my cheeks. And I was like, what in the world? You know, your blood vessels are beginning to show you're going to have bright red cheeks. I'm like, what? What? And there's always something. Anybody over 65 knows exactly what I'm talking about. So he had his youth. You look at him, though, not only did he have his youth. I'll say this, and I believe I'm correct here. He was healthy. And so how do you know that? Well, uh, Mark says it this way. And when he was gone forth in the way, when Jesus was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled and spoke and asked him. So I don't get it. That's because you're still young. Okay. The older you get, the less you kneel and the less you run. And if you run and kneel, you don't speak. Right. He came to Jesus, he ran, he kneeled, and immediately he began to speak. If I do that, and I'm in fairly good shape for my age, uh, but if I do that, it's going to be like, <laughs> there's going to be a pause there. So he was healthy, I think that's it. I, somebody told me a long time ago the six signs of aging. Your strength begins to fail, you're, you're, uh, you have difficulty in walking, eyes grow weaker, loss of body heat, your hair begins to turn gray or turn loose, Oh, there was six of them. I don't know what the other one is. But he was, he was young. He was healthy. I mean, you think about this guy in the world's view. He has a little bit of everything. He was rich. I think it's interesting to note that Luke said he was very sorrowful because he was very rich. And the emphasis there is on what we would think of as money rich. He has a lot of money. Okay. Uh, but Matthew said it this way. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Not only did he have a lot of money, he had a lot of things. Sometimes we judge riches that way. So, I mean, to think of this, he's a young man, he's got his health, and he's got, great, he's got a great deal of money. How much that is, I don't know, but if the Bible says he's rich, he's rich. He's rich, he has great possessions, he has a lot of things, and you would think that guy pretty much has it all. What is he doing sorrowful or grieved? That doesn't make sense to me, grieved. When I think of the word grieved, I wrote a little list here. Where did I put my list? I wrote a little list here. Uh, I looked this up, and I don't know if I agree with it, but I don't know what you... Uh, there's, a sur- there's a survey I, I, I read that talked about the eight greatest sorrows. You want to know what they are? Here are the eight greatest sorrows. And I, I don't know if this is the right order or if this is actually the eight, but I think it's a pretty good list. Uh, number, one, the great, the, number one greatest sorrow is death of a child, especially if that child is unsaved. That's, would, how many of you would agree with me? That is great grief and great sorrow. Okay. Uh, number two, death of a spouse. Same idea. Number three, death of a parent, a sibling, or a close friend. I, I think those are, that's a pretty accurate list. Number four, the suffering of a long-term illness or a painful death by you. And number five is the same, the suffering of a long-term illness or a painful death by someone you love. 
those are, those are things I think of bringing grief and sorrow. How about the sorrow uh, number six? And I think I put this higher on my list. The sorrow over wayward child. I mean, everybody wants good children. Everybody wants to raise their children right. And even if you do the perfect job, you know the child still has, has a free will and can choose to sin. Isn't that a horrible thing? I always, I always think free will is great for me, bad for everybody else. That's kind of the way I look at it. I wish, I, I wish God would make the rest of you do what's right and let me do what I wanted. So do your children, by the way. But the grief of a wayward child, that was number six. Number seven, the abrupt ending of a relationship by someone you thought you loved and someone you thought loved you. That would bring grief and sorrow. And number eight, the disappointment of failing someone you love or respect. When I think of grief or sorrow, that's what I think. I don't think of a guy who's young, healthy, rich, and has great possessions. But listen, he was more than that. Uh, as far as I can tell, he was a good moral man. He's, Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do you keep the commandments? And at least from his own testimony, and by the way, Christ didn't object to that testimony. Christ didn't say, no you didn't. You know how you got that money? I know how you got it. Right? You don't see that. So he was young. He was healthy. He was rich. He was, had at least some morals about him, would you say? Didn't steal to get what he... By, by the way, if you don't steal and you don't lie to get what you got, there's only one other way. That's called industry, right? Diligence. Good, hard work. He was a good moral man. Uh, not only that, but think about this. He had power and influence. He was a ruler. Now, we don't know what... We're not told what kind of ruler he is, but he's a ruler. Hey, how many of you young people would like that? Uh, I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm rich. I have great possessions, Right? Uh, I'm, I'm morally pure. I do what's right most of the time, and I'm known by that testimony. And I'm an authority. That's a pretty good lineup. What do you think, Rudy? I feel like I have to say something to you, Rudy, because Pastor always does. It's just part of the deal, right? That's a pretty good deal, right? Uh, so uh, not only that, there's, another, there's a couple that has power and influence, uh, number six, and we can go on with this forever, but I'll stop here. Uh, he was a student of the Scriptures, when, when he says this, uh, he says what? Jesus said to him, thou knowest the commandments. You know the commandments. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you today, but if I ask somebody in this auditorium, if I said, how many of you can stand up and quote to me the Ten Commandments? Uh, you might find out it's not as easy as you think. Now, don't spend the rest of your message in sermon, my sermon going, all right, number one. All right, number two. Okay, I don't want you to do that. But I mean, I read that, and there's a lot of things that make me th ask the question. So why was this guy going away sorrowful? And then to top it all off, right? So verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was sorry because he had great possessions? I'm not sure. What? What does that mean? We read stuff a lot of times in Scripture, and we don't stop to say, there's a meaning. You do understand there's a reason that this story is here, Right? And I don't think the reason is to tell you you need to keep the commandments. I think you know that, okay? If you're going to please God, that won't get you saved. But if you're going to please God, you need to keep the commandments. Uh, I don't think that's the reason for the story. I'm pretty sure it's not that you go sell everything you have. Not, by the way, not that we at the church would not accept it if you did. Just so you know, okay? I don't think that's the story. So what's the story? Well, you think, well, Jesus, you know, a lot of times at the end of a parable, or this isn't a parable, this is an actual story, a true story. At the end of the story, Jesus will then explain it, 
right? And when you go in Matthew 19, you may be like me. You read those verses. You say, ah, that don't make a whole lot of sense. And so you look at the next verse and say, this, this is it. So Jesus uh, says to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, what? Rich people don't go to heaven? It, no, it's going to be hard for them. What? What, what about Abraham? What about Solomon? What about Joseph of Arimathea? What about those guys? Did they have wealth? Oh, yeah, they had tremendous wealth. So what? Again, everybody still with me? You, you understand why I, read, I used to read this story and go, what? Jesus says that to his disciples. And then in verse 24, he says something even a little more out there, at least at first, when you first read it. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Got it. There, that, is, that, that, is, that is plain, right? You're all, see, there you go. It's easier for a camel to go, what? Uh, I've, I've read, maybe you've heard, there's all kinds of theories of what that meant. I've read, I heard somebody say one time from a pulpit, I heard somebody say that there was this gate in Jerusalem and it was a very small gate and uh, for a camel to go through it, the camel would have to kneel down and they'd have to take all his burdens off and that's the only way it could get through the gate and that's what Jesus is referencing uh, and I'm like, what? How many of you ever heard that story? I'm not the only, I, a lot of people heard that story. By the way, those of you who just raise your hand, I've done every kind of research you can, that's not true. <laughs> there was no such gate. No, it's not, I'm sorry. I, it's a great story. It kinda, you, know what, you know what Jesus was talking about? He was talking to them about, you know the biggest animal that you know? In Palestine, that would have been the biggest, al- <coughs> excuse me, dry spot. That would have been the biggest animal they know going through the smallest hole they know. He said, uh, <coughs> it's just that easy for a rich man to go to heaven. I'm going to have to take a drink of water. Please do not get mad at me. I know you'd like some water too. Okay. So he said, it's, 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 it's like taking a camel and cramming him through an eye of a needle. And you say, that'd be hard. No, 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 no. No, it's worse than that. Look at verse 25. So when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. I think it's interesting that one was exceedingly sorrowful, the other was exceedingly amazed. But anyway, saying, who then can be saved? And Jesus beheld them and said to them, now this explains it, right? No. Jesus says to them, with this, uh, with men, this is, wait a minute, this is impossible? But with God, all things are possible. Wait a minute, wait, stop. Everybody stop for a minute. What? It's impossible for rich people to go to heaven? I, huh? Anybody, anybody got this yet? It's a, how many would at least say this? That is a interesting story that I don't know if I understand all of it. Right? I think a lot of people, you can shake your head, not to raise your hand and embarrass yourself. Okay? But yeah, I, I have, there were years I looked at that story and went, I don't know what that means. And, and I've actually preached, I preached a message, it's probably, I looked it up, it's like 13 years ago, when I, I, I've been here 15 years, so I hadn't been here that long, uh, 13 years ago, and I, the title of that sermon was, The Sorriest Man in the Bible. He was very, anyway. But I, I, I looked at that, the outline for that sermon, and nothing I said was wrong, but it wasn't really the meaning of the story. I said a lot of things that kind of related to it, but not, what does the story mean? And you, I, I some of you may not know this. There was a reason why I didn't give the true meaning of the story at that time. Anybody know? I didn't know it. 
I, I still didn't quite get it. I'm still looking at it going, okay, there's just some things I can't understand here. I mean, if you think about it, uh, here's a good sermon outline for this. He, uh, he talked about the rich young ruler. He came to the right person. Amen. I mean, if you want to know how to get eternal life, you can ask one of the pastors of our church, and I think we can show you from the Bible. But if you had your options to ask me or Jesus Christ himself standing here, who are you going to? I'd go to the right person. Amen. And he went to the right person. And by the way, I also think he asked the right question. That's a good question. When I was 16 years old, I never thought about that question until I was sitting in a church in Florence, South Carolina. I was sitting on that side of an auditorium. Church back then ran about 300 people. I'm sitting over there, and at the end of the service, the pastor asked that age-old question you used to hear it asked all the time. If you were to die today, do you know where you spend eternity? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven or going to hell? And that was the first time ever in my life I actually considered that question. And I thought to myself, whoa, I... I First of all, I thought, I don't know if you can know. Can you know? I mean, is that, huh? I was almost as confused then as I was now when I read this story. I'm like, what? Can I really know that? They gave an invitation. At the end, first time I'd ever been in a church, they gave an invitation that didn't have to do, my grandmother was Pentecostal, didn't have to do with tongues or receiving the Holy Ghost. I mean, that was, I thought that's what you did in invitation. You came down and that, that was all it was to it. And so I remember standing there thinking, I don't know. And the pastor said this. He said, if you don't know for sure, there's a pa- there are pastors up here just like we do. He said, there's pastors up here. They'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can be saved. Show you how you can know for sure you go to heaven. And I, to this day, I think it was just the work of the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what moved my feet, but my feet moved. It was the weirdest. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If God's ever working. It was like, well, I guess I should do that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realized what I was doing. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, I don't know what I'm thinking here. Well, this, was a, this church had been well trained. So when I made that first initial move, there were three people between me and the aisle. All three of them went out in the aisle and did this. <laughs> like, come on. I didn't have a choice. I walked down the aisle. I looked, talked to my youth pastor and he said, what do you need? He said, what do you come forward for? And I said, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. And I asked the same question. How can I know that I can, I didn't ask it in that way, but how can I know? A man by the name of Nolan Johnson, one of our deacons, took a Bible and showed me how I could be saved. And I got saved back in 1973. So I think he asked the right question. He came to the right person, he asked the right question. But here's the question I have. Maybe it's your question. Did he get the right answer? Is that the right answer? Now let me help you with this. Can I help you with this a little bit? Some of you are looking at me like, Will you please tell us what you're talking about because we're lost now. Well, I gotta, you got to remember, who did he come to? It's not a trick question. Who did he come to? He came to Jesus. Who is God in the flesh, right? Does Jesus know this young man before he comes? Does he know his heart and mind? You see that all the time, by the way, in the, in the Gospels, where the Pharisees or the Sadducees ask a question, and it says several times, and he knowing their hearts, right? He already knew when they all have to heart, he knew why they were asking. He, Jesus, let me, let me get, help you out with this story. Jesus is way ahead of you, right? He's way ahead of me. He was way ahead of the disciples when he's asking when this happens, right? Can I tell you something? He got the right answer. He got the answer he needed. It wasn't the answer he wanted, but he got the answer he needed. He said, I, I'm confused. Well, go back and look at the commandments. So, uh, go back and look at the story again, okay? So go back to, uh, go back to that first uh, verse 16. So he says, good master, 
What good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Jesus is basically saying to him, Who do you think I am? Right? If you don't, if you, you can't come to Jesus and not know who he is. If he is not God's son, come in the flesh. If he is not the son of God, crucified for your sin, he can't help you. And he's basically saying to the guy, who do you think I am? Do you, do you accept me as God? Do, is, that way you, is that way you're looking at me? Now remember, that may seem like a strange question to you if you came, but this kid already knows. He already knows what's in his heart. Jesus already knows before he asks the question. But if thou will enter into a life, he said, eternal life, keep the commandments. Now here's something, there's something the guy did not know. Let me show you what that is. He says to him, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, right? And uh, love your neighbor as yourself. He, he intentionally, look at me, he intentionally left out the first, the second, and the tenth commandment. Say, so what do you mean? Jesus already knows his answer, doesn't he? Before the boy answers, doesn't Jesus already know the answer? Yeah. He knows that he's going to say yes. He happily, I almost think it's, I almost think it's a joyous. This I've done since my youth. <laughs> what else? I think he's looking for, what he's looking for is Jesus say, you know what? You're good enough. You've reached there. A lot of us think that, by the way. If you'd have asked me when I was 16 years old before I went to that church and before I heard about sin and before I understood what that meant and before I understood that I was a wicked sinner on my way to hell, do you think you'll go to heaven? You know what my answer would have been? My answer would have been the same. Yes, I think I will. And I, you know what I would have said? Now listen to this. You, you would have said, if, see if this isn't what something, I would have said, I never killed anybody. You ever hear anybody say that? Well, I never killed anybody. I never cheated anybody. I don't lie, right? I think that's why those questions are there. He knew that he was going to say that. And I think he left the other commandments out. So then he says this. The young man said to him, verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things have I kept from my youth. What do I lack yet? Now, let me help you with the question. The question is, what do I lack that I can do to get me to heaven? I'm a good person. I've done all these good things. I, don't, I honor my mom and dad. I don't steal and I don't lie and I don't cheat and I've never killed anybody and I've never committed adultery. I'm a good person. <laughs> what else do I need? You know, a lot, of people, a lot of people don't get saved simply because they don't think they need to be saved. I actually had a guy tell me that one time. We were talking about salvation. I said, you need to be saved. And he said, why? What have I done that I need to be saved? <laughs> well, the list is quite long. I don't even have to know you, right? But he didn't get that. He said, what about... So look what Jesus said. Verse 21, Jesus said this. If thou will be perfect. In other words, if you're going to keep all the commandments, then keep all the commandments. Go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. You know what, Jesus... Let me, can I interpret this for you in a different way? I think here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right? Jesus is saying, Thou shalt work, worship no other things but me. Jesus is saying, Thou shalt not covet. You know why I think the, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful? He couldn't obey, he knew he was not obeying those commandments. And he's not willing to admit 
I'm not all that. I'd say it this way. It's, I believe it's impossibly saved without realizing and recognizing your own sinfulness, your hopelessness apart from Christ. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, then you don't see any need to be saved. One of the first things that, I, that they showed me when I came forward that Sunday in that church was Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. Actually, uh, the guy who uh, led me to Christ read all of Romans chapter 3, the entire chapter. Boy, you talk about an ugly picture of people. It is not a good picture, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all come short of the glory of God. I still remember him sitting there, and I still remember him taking his hand, and he said, listen, I want you to understand it. Let's say this is God's standard. This is God's standard. It's perfectness. Somewhere in here is where you are. You may have done some things right, but you haven't done all. You've failed in many areas, and you have come short. And the only way you can get that perfection is through the righteousness of Christ. The only way you can be saved is understand how sinful you really are and how much need you really have. And that's what that boy realized that day. I'm not all that in a box of rocks. I'm not willing to put God first. I'm not willing to say, I need him that much. I need my possessions and I need my power and I need what I have and I can't give that up. I've had several people tell, tell me the whole point of this message is to say that we need to give everything up and give it to Christ. No, no, no. no. First thing you need to realize is you don't have anything anyway. You're a wicked sinner just like me. And without Christ, you're on your way to hell. And until you understand that, you won't be saved. I hope there's not anybody here this morning that over and over you've heard messages like this and you've listened and listened and said, yeah, 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 but I don't know that I need that. Can I tell you something? When you do that, I think it's reasonable and right that you walk away exceedingly sorrowful. If you don't know for sure you're saved this morning and you came asking that question, what like I yet? You like the Lord Jesus Christ because your sinfulness will take you to hell and His righteousness will take you to heaven. If you don't understand that, you too will walk away very sorrowful. I don't know what it is but that keeps you from coming to God. But there's always something. So everybody's got something. How foolish we are to walk away like Him. By the way, just so you know, if you're a Christian this morning, it's kind of the same. Until you confess you're a sinner, you can't be saved. And until you confess your sin as a saved person, you can't be right with God. And there's saved people that walk away just as sorrowful. You come to church, you know there's things wrong in your life. You know you need to get something right. You know you need to confess it. You need to know you need to forsake that sin. The altar's open. The invitation's given. And you sit there until it's over. And when it's over, you walk away and nothing has changed. You're as sad a case as this guy is. I think he's a little sadder for not knowing Christ, obviously. But it's the same. Until we're willing to confess who we really are, until that rich, young, healthy, powerful guy said, none of that makes me anything except for a wicked, lost sinner. Until he realized that, he, he would never be saved. And he walked away very sorrowful. I hope you won't do the same. Lord, I thank you for these truths from the scripture this morning. I pray that you'll help us all to see what we are without Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 3 and we read that, Lord. Our mouths are an open sepulcher. We're horrible, wicked people. 
We need you. Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, just like was asked that year back in 1973, if they don't know for sure they're going to heaven, if they don't know where they'll spend eternity, in heaven or hell, I pray this morning that during this invitation that they'll come forward, they'll take the hands of one of our pastors, and they'll let them show them from the Bible how they can be saved. I pray for Christians who might, not be, who might be here who have unconfessed sin in their life. Lord, it's about time we got some things right. Why do we walk around so sorrowful, so griefful, worrying about the things that we should have done? Why don't we just take care of it? Why don't we get it right? I pray that that's what will happen during this invitation. I ask it in Jesus' name. I ask you to stand. I ask you to stand. Uh, Pastor Ogden is going to sing as he sings. If you need to come, take care of something in your life. Let me uh, come.